Hey, everybody. Welcome to another week of the Soccer Thread Podcast. I'm Dan Schrader. Uh, I am in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I am... I mean, we regularly discuss the like relative local proximity of Palmer and I, but I'm feeling a little too close this morning because the rage, the upsetness <laughs> is just, uh, it's making me nervous. The whatever we might have, 10 miles between us, my back, my back is warm. And if it gets too hot, I might turn around and catch a little bit on my front side. Uh, yeah, it's, I'll, I'll try it's to, Ryan Palmer. I'll, I'll try to reel it in a little bit. I, uh. I would apologize, but I'm not. I'm not ready to apologize right now. So um, I'm just a little heated. You're right. You're right. I'm a little heated after uh, Spurs draw another another game. Um, look great in the second in the first half, um, and you know, try to park the bus unsuccessfully in the in the second half. Although we've not lost in eleven straight games, so that's great. I would apologize, but I have nothing to apologize for. That was basically how that started. That's, that's what I heard. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not sorry. So yeah, exactly. You're not even sorry that you're not sorry, though. That that's the thing. <laughs> I'm feeling these emotions. Let me feel these emotions, okay? Mm, let the rage flow through you. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, Colin Smith is in Swampscott. I'm just gonna try to bring this pot up. You know, Palmer's really bringing it down. But I got a Hanukkah celebration later today. Um, my son's been getting a, another train every day of Hanukkah. It's it's wow. train city up in my house. Let's it's, go. I couldn't be more happy about that. I'm like more pumped than he is about some of these trains. Can but... we tweet out some photos of the trains from the, the Twitter account? Oh, yeah. I'll wait till he gets the best one. Oh, God. I don't even want to ruin it for you. But there is a train in there that I am so when I when I pulled it up on my phone, I found that it exists. I showed it to my wife and we were playing with my son. And she goes, oh, shit. <laughs> And I was like, you kid, don't swear. For, I know it's a toy for him that we're both excited about, but, you know, tamp it down. I so. haven't been this excited for Hanukkah for years, and it's not even me who's getting the gifts. I'm really excited now. <laughs> I'll definitely be, uh, we, we can tweet out some of them, but Mike, you'll get, uh, I'll try to get you in some live action on, on the, the Hanukkah gift giving. Oh, God. When it, when it gets really good. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this. But I'm I've subscribed to a Colin uh, photo photo album, and I'm excited to see what comes up on the Colin photo album <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but you won't like any of those pictures. I, yeah. I just look. I've liked like two of them. I think I can't remember which two, but I occasionally <laughs> only, do. Only like yeah, cream. listeners. Yeah, listeners. Let me make clear. Uh, Dan also is subscribed to this <clears throat> photo stream, and Palmer, I think you are too. I but am. yeah, Dan likes every single picture of my son. That I post like immediately, great immediately, inflation. yeah. Oh, great he sees the picture, Disgusting. he likes the picture because he, you know, he likes children and and people. He likes positivity, happiness. He likes to spread. What's wrong with you know giving things a thumbs up, Mike? No, he. I feel you like know, you're equating me if with there was Palmer. A thumbs I'm down also trying option. to bring the pot up. I'm trying to bring the pot up. <laughs> okay, like, I'm just here's I, the thing. Look, if if you like the, every single photo, it's just how do you know which ones you really like? You're trying to rate the pictures of Colin's kid? Like, this is not no, a rating, not rating them. game. <laughs> it's not you like are. I send Colin a text that says, uh, four out of ten, uh, wish there were more trains in this photo. <laughs> you, you basically said that. You basically said that before. Uh, Mike, to be fair, and I guess to be fair to Mike, I don't think that I have liked a single one of those Thank photos. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I also don't think that I've, I'm also part of Dan's shared album. And I don't, oh, I haven't not, liked any I'm of those photos. So, so now I'm starting album. to feel, feel I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little liked, shamed. And <laughs> good, uh, good. I thought it was merely for the families to like, and we just got to, we were yeah, outside observers. That's what I thought so. too, Ryan. And then I was shamed. And so occasionally I like a photo just to let Colin <laughs> gonna, know that I'm, I'm paying to, attention and I appreciate what he's doing for me. I'm, I'm going to like every, every photo child. from here on out. I'm going to go back Look, and like every Colin's single child, photo. Like I'm Colin, part of the family. So I <laughs> yeah, don't. Exactly. Colin's wife is going to be like, why did Mike just like a photo from, you know, January 2019? Oh, you want to, you, you want that story? Yeah. When Dan let me, I wasn't on Seba's photo. Oh, sorry. I didn't chinchilla on Dan's kids. I think name. I've used them yeah, anyway. But Dan did not let me in on his photo stream from the birth of his child. I got in like maybe two years late, 18 months late, something, something like that. Like probably, that. Yeah. And I went back and liked the 700 photos that had already been posted one by one. 
Every single one. Every single photo. I, I liked I was them all. Like going to bed. I took a whole night and I looked through them all. I liked them all. I craft. I craft. I laughed. I cried. <laughs> I had emotional experiences along with the family, and I liked it all. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mike, this just goes to show you that you and I are just heartless motherfuckers. You can, I mean, this just goes to show you can never do enough. You know, you can never do enough for some people. <laughs> well, well, you're here, Mike, and that's really what I cherish. So um, what else I cherish is you taking us. To, I don't know if I introduced you. Mike, you said you had a story to tell, too. I'm just going to not let you. <laughs> I'm telling this story. Uh, it pertains to Palmer and nope. <clears throat> emails and, and family and food. Uh I went to pick up some food last night and it was a lot of food. And, uh, you know, as I got it, I just said, man, the family is going to really love this food, even though it was just for me and my wife. And the woman who I was picking it up from, who was very, very busy and was not listening to me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think she necessarily cared, but I did it. I did it out of solidarity. I appreciate that. I really, I but do appreciate did that. Did you say, when she didn't care, did you say, excuse me, I said, the family will like this food. She, this she is was not literally one person. She was, so it's, it's a, it's a family operated restaurant. It's, you know, a husband and wife and they have a daughter who must be like one. And the daughter was on the back of the woman who was giving me the food. So she literally had a family. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I just Yours didn't feel imaginary. like it was. She was like really, really working hard. So I didn't feel like I needed to disturb her by like pestering her and being like, hey, hey, I'm talking to you. So anyway, emails, emails. I appreciate that. You said my son's name is Ryan Palmer. He will also be eating this (laughs) all by himself. Love it. Um, Man, I, I did really appreciate that bit as you know, when you're going out, I'll just say when you're when you're ordering food now. You know, we're trying to minimize contacts. So you might as well order like four or five days worth of food at one time. Then you only have one contact. So Palmer, you're just, you're looking That's out. That's exactly for right. You're looking out for this world. If we had more Palmers, it'd be a better place. I'll just say yep. that. Been, All right. Emails. Been doing it since 2010. Yep. yep. <laughs> you were anticipating, you were training for this moment. Uh, first email is from Spencer. He shared with us a, uh, a link to MLS's 25 greatest players in the league's 25 year history. So this was put out by the league. Uh, sh- shit. I'm not going to read through 25 names, but you know, it's out there. If you want to look it up, you can look it up. But for, uh, you know, my fellow podcasters who can, who can read this, um, is there anyone who's missing anyone who is, uh, is not qualified for this list? What do we think about this list? Uh, Colin, I'll throw it your way to start. Well, yeah. So first of all, uh, the tweet says the 25 greatest, but actually it says the most influential players in major league soccer history. So I think that's a different, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, conversation, right? Like David Beckham is on this list. I'm not sure he made, you know, with his few years, that great of a impact on the field, but is he one of the most influential players? Sure. He's top five and most influential for sure. So, um, so I took it from the most influential standpoint. Um, and so the one guy I thought that is yeah, missing these, from... These are two different lists. If, how can you call this the greatest and then below be like, well, most, most influential. influential. Yeah. Asterisk. Yeah. 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 This is what great means to us is influence, not right. ability on the field or something. I don't know. But <clears throat> from that perspective, uh, the influential perspective, I think it's a really good list, actually. I don't think there's... Uh, any shocking omissions. The one I would add is Carlos Ruiz, who is, I mean, maybe the greatest Central American MLS player of all time, which is somewhere where MLS gets a fair bit of talent from. And he was, um, you know, I'd say at his peak or his at least MLS peak in um, early 2000s. Uh, 2002, I think, is the year he won MLS Cup, MLS MVP, MLS Golden Boot, all that. But he also had, you know, uh, more than a decade long career in MLS played for a lot of different clubs. Um, so I think he's, he's the big omission off this list for me. This list is, I would say mostly U S you know, U S nationals, but there are a few other guys on there as well. So, um, I think Carlos Ruiz is the one who's overlooked. I think it's really interesting that the list has guys like Robin Frazier, who is like, I think if you were like, Oh, do you know about Robin Frazier? I'd be like, 
Uh, it's not like necessarily, but if you were like, oh, he's like a defender from a long time ago in MLS, I'd be like, oh, okay, sure, fine. Right. But he's not like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not a star. Right. And he's not like somebody that we talk about a lot, like maybe even Chad Marshall's on this list. I guess he's played more recently. So maybe that's a little more obvious, but it's just interesting to have a list that has guys like Robin Frazier and also has Joseph Martinez who like has not been here that long, was Mm -hmm. injured all of last year, but like is influential in a different way because he's a different type of player and he's the most obvious example of that type of player in MLS. So it's a a funny list because you kind of have to balance both of those things. Yeah, Yeah. and and I I think... Go ahead, Palmer. I have have a question, not because... Mainly because I hope it makes this person angry that he's not on this list, but... uh, is Alexi Lawless missing out off from this oh, list? Oh, that's because, not what I thought you were going to say. Well, I mean, I, am I wrong? Because I feel like Alexi Lawless was like an initial investor in the Metro Stars <laughs> as well. Like, so he brought, like, he invested early in MLS, played in MLS, uh, and he's not influential enough to be on this list. Is he an owner? I, I think he was. A, I don't think he had something. enough money to be investing in, in, in MLS. And now he's a commentator. Are you allowed to commentate on your own uh, I properties? I don't think That's, he's an investor. I thought he had something in, to do with, with bringing Metro Stars or like, I don't know. Uh, he, no, he played, I mean, he, I believe you. I just the don't beginning know of MLS. I mean, his MLS story is that he was playing at Padova. I don't really know how to pronounce that very well. I'm, if my Italian is terrible. Uh, <laughs> in Italy. And then he, you know, he's playing in for a pretty poor Serie A team, but he was playing in Serie A and then he came back to MLS. And I think he and maybe a couple other guys were like, that's a pretty rare thing, right? If you're an American who can make it in Serie A to come back to MLS, especially at that era where MLS is nothing, right? It's literally the first year. They might fold the next year and you're going to give up your Serie A. You played there one year. Right. Um, like, so I think that is a, you mean, that would be the argument for Alexi Lalas. Well, I mean, um, a player like Jeff Agus who is, you know, of the same era of Ale- as Alexi Lawless, uh, maybe a little later, but like yeah. they're contemporaries. And yeah, I, listen, I'm just, I just want Alexi Lawless to be salty. I don't know, I know. if he is <laughs> but, or not, but I'm just really happy that, you know, if he's the 26th player and he doesn't make this list, that makes me even more happy. <laughs> um, but that's, I feel like that's a name on here that, um, you know, he might feel. He's yeah, I, w- that. I was just going to say that his MLS career actually ended up being kind of shit. Like, he played a couple years for the Revs. He got loaned out to Ecuador, uh, and then he got traded to the Metro Stars, and then he got traded to Kansas City, and then he retired. Like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. He kind of bounced around and got hurt and didn't pan that's out fair. or whatever. But, um, yeah, so I-, I would say, and then he played, a, he came back out of retirement and played for the Galaxy. But, yeah. I think Agus probably was more influential on the pitch, which is another thing I took out of this and why I can't remember who I brought up. Oh, Ben Olsen. Uh, why like some guys aren't on this list is because they had influence as like Ben Olsen, a player for 10 years and then a manager for 10 years. This is really only about players. Yeah. Whereas Lalas also has kind of influence in that he was a GM yeah. of the galaxy. And now, I, although Robin Fraser also coach in the league, uh, I think he's still, but if it, yeah, it's just his player. Yeah, I think he's yeah. still still coaching as an assistant or something. I mean, the guy. I I will tell you. I was that, happy. Go ahead. The guy I was happy to not see on this was Michael Bradley, <laughs> because I felt like he's he's, I think the kind of person that's probably got the like the owners in the league like he's got them on his cell right like he's <laughs> he, he's the one where they're like well we got to put Michael in I guess yeah. right. And, <laughs> But he's not here, right? And Giovinco is, uh, and they were both like part of that Toronto era. And Giovinco obviously is gone now. But uh, I just don't. I mean, I think that's the right call. I think Giovinco most more influential than Michael Bradley oh, for, sure. uh, for that club for that era. But uh, I was happy that we didn't just pander to like the top U.S. men's national team guys necessarily on this list. I yeah. watched a my. I think my first MLS game that I ever watched, this was shouts to Keevan, the miter ball uh, <laughs> era where it was like the, the multicolored one um, was in Denver. 
So it was Colorado Rapids, and I think it was Columbus Crew uh, in Mile High Stadium. And I was with my mom, and Frankie Hayduk uh, was playing. And my mom absolutely would not stop talking about Frankie Hayduk. And at one point, he did a slide tackle, and his shorts rolled up. And so you could see a lot of leg, a lot of quad. Um, so in that sense, I feel like Frankie Hayduk has to be on this list of the <laughs> most influential players because because uh, it's your mother makes um, this list. Yeah, my mom would would want to see his name on this list. I, Although I don't I, think she she could tell you who his name was, but I bet you she could tell you, you know, what thigh it was. Even even without even without that incredible story, Frankie Hayduk is a great shout for most influential yeah, players. Uh, 153 MLS appearances. Yeah. It's love it. Love it. Kyle Beckerman, there. really? I mean, I think it's he he's played more games than anybody. Yeah, think, right? there's yeah. like an interesting more outfield. interesting sort of like dichotomy between like Kyle Beckerman and Nick Ramondo and I don't know, guys like that who played their whole year in MLS, whole career in MLS and then, you know, Beckham or Joseph Martinez or, you know, other guys who kind of this was a shortstop and like they burned very bright and then they went away. But I don't know. I almost feel like those need to be two separate lists of like career MLS guys. Mm-hmm. That's going to be 12. And then guys who dropped in for a few years, that's going to be 12. And then, you know, you kind of make that distinction. I'm also a little bit surprised that Taylor Twelman isn't on this list. Uh, I mean, we all know him from his commentary days, but like as a player, he was one of the best goal scorers of all time. Careers cut short due to head injuries, as we all know. But like, you know, he he was kind of like a Wondolowski type player before Wondolowski and probably would have had more goals than him if he had continued playing. But uh, obviously that didn't happen. So anyway, uh, you know, that's that list. Go look it up. Lists are great for podcasts. So we appreciate that. Thanks, MLS, for, you know, creating the content. Um, Keevan wants to know, next email is from Keevan. So U.S. Soccer put out their nominees for U.S. Soccer Player of the Year. Uh, and he wants to know who should win of the six players nominated. Uh, and those players are Adams, Dest, McKenney, Pulisic, uh, Morris, and, uh, spoiler alert, MLS Cup champion, Jossie Zardes. Um, <laughs> Palmer, of those six guys, who is your player of the year? Oh, this is such a hard question. I, I mean, I think that... I think that Pulisic will win it. I don't think that he is necessarily deserved in winning it because I think that he had a really, really strong beginning of the year, um, especially when they, you know, they came back and finished the Premier League season. Um, Dest, I don't think should win it just because I feel like it's too early. Um, I'm gonna say that McKinney. Uh, wins this. I think that he's been the most consistent this entire year. So uh, Pulisic was up and down, injured. Um, but, you know, McKinney, big move to Juventus. Uh, I guess, you know, a little bit of recency bias, but um, with his great goal this week. But um, he's been the most consistent. Like, I've, I feel like he's played the most time. Um, has been consistently in chosen in the starting 11 um, is being chosen in the starting 11 for Juventus. Now I, I think McKinney's been in, in the news the most with these big moves. So I'm going to give it to him. All right. Any disagreement Colin or Dan? I mean, I agree with Palmer. That is definitely a hard call. Like a lot of years, it's like, this is a pretty obvious award to give out. Um, and in the past, sometimes that's been uh Pulisic. That's been the obvious awardee. Um, but in th- this year, we, the, you know, all our excitement, uh, we have a lot of players who are, we're excited about, who are maybe playing well for stretches or, you know, we're excited about for stretches, but nobody who's put together a, a great season, I would say, or it's really outstanding last 12 months. Um, I'm not going to give guys credit for making big moves like Destin McKenney. Like that's not, this is an on pitch performance award for me, not whether you have a good agent. Um, and so those guys are both good. Tyler Adams also, you know, has a shout for this award, deserving the UCL's goal. But 
ultimately, I think it's Christian Pulisic's award. I think we've never had a player in my memory. I mean, you could, you can make an argument here, maybe for Clint Dempsey at some point, who has been the best player for any stretch of time in one of the big five leagues in Europe. Christian Pulisic for me was the best player when the Premier League came back from the break. That that I don't know how many games it was, ten game stretch. He was yeah. the most dangerous player in the Premier League. Um, he scored goals. He made assists. He was the best player on his team. His team did well. Kept them in the Champions League place. Every game mattered. He started and played, got big minutes, produced. That that's something we'd never had before. Mm-hmm. I know, like you know, in a in a perfect year, you'd be say, oh well, he only ha- did that for two months, and McKenney's been playing great all year for Juve. But that's not where we're at yet. Um, so I give it to him by a, a nose, but because he did something that's really unique for us. It, there's also young player nominees. I agree with all that, so I've got nothing else to say there. Um, <laughs> Brendan Aronson, Mark McKenzie, Eunice Musa, Gio Reyna, Chris Richards. Is Gio Reyna the obvious young player out of that group? Yes. If, if they don't give this to Eunice Musa, it's a huge, it's a catastrophe for <laughs> player recruitment. Um, I, they should give it to uh, Efra Alvarez. Then. That would be good. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think Musa. Um, He's he's playing probably at a pretty similar level as Reyna in a similar league. I think either of them would be deserving of it. Reyna with um, again recency bias had like a ridiculous goal yesterday, yeah, um, and is is playing quite well despite Dortmund's struggles. Um, but I think like Musa is also a a pretty phenomenal young player who's doing things that we have not seen many American players do. Cool. All right. Next email. Uh, ooh, all right. We had a couple people who responded to our challenge uh, to discuss rules. Love it. I don't know how much we're going to get to this today. This might just be a recurring recurring segment on the pod because there's there's so much content. So I much mean, it's Dan's, Dan. Content. You're not the host. Dan's the host. I'm yeah. not. Look, I'm. Let us get. I'm to not this, making rules here. I'm simply this. offering. I'm just, look, I have my I'm hands behind my back. I'm just appealing Listen. to the host to say, sir. Sir, I just can feel we like this whole podcast has been attacked. I mean, <laughs> these emails clearly fall into the rules chat, so they're not room. They're not emails. Uh, I'm taking them out of the oh! email section. <laughs> Shocking decision! Shocking wow. decision so, by the referee. Wow. So, Mike, okay. um, thank you for your emails, everyone. <laughs> That's right. Soccerthread at gmail.com. Uh, if you email us, I guess maybe we'll read your emails, but maybe they get pulled out. And, you know, some people have to leave early today, so maybe we won't even get to them. So, you know, email if you want, but no guarantees. Thank you. All right, moving on. Uh, we're now going to talk oh, about good. rules chat and prioritizing the rules chat. We got a couple of emails, folks, bringing this back. Uh, thank you for the emails, George and Eric. Um, let's start with George's. He says, I know I'm a broken record on this. I would like to uh, decrease the number of penalties and the impact that those penalties have. One way to do that would be to move the penalty spot back to the edge of the penalty box and, you know, kind of expand the arc accordingly. Uh, And he would also shrink the size of the penalty box on the sides by uh, 10%, which in absolute terms, I forget how wide the penalty box is, 24 yards. So we're just going to go ahead and make it 2.4 yards less wide i think um but the general idea move the penalty spot back make the penalty box a little smaller reduce the impact of penalties on the games palmer thoughts on that i actually i don't hate this uh i i think a penalty taken from further back would be a lot more exciting um cuz i feel like it's like it's like a free throw at this point right like you probably i don't know what the um penalty conversion rate is but it's probably really high yes yeah, like 75 um, percent, something like that yeah so like move it back it adds a little bit more drama into it um i i love this uh i'm not sure i mean i guess if you're gonna move the penalty back making the the box smaller i, I guess i'm not sure like what impact that would have but I'm okay with this. I, I I really like this idea. I want to see refs have more options than just penalty or no penalty. So I think that's part of the problem is 
you know, you're saying for things that are really shades of gray a lot of times, especially handballs, but also some tackles where you're like, okay, was that really denying of a goal scoring chance? Uh, or, you know, basically it's the same uh, penalty for like, you know, Luis Suarez in the World Cup deliberately handballing a ball off the line and someone, you know, having their hand like not exactly at their side. And so I, you know, we all love a indirect free kick in the box where you just have yeah. <laughs> 11 guys on on the uh, on the line. So I'd love to see more of that. I also would like to see more direct free kicks in the box that are not penalties. Um, so I don't love, exist now. Huh? So those don't exist now. Those don't exist. Yeah, I want to see yeah. that. That would be fun. <laughs> You see, um, I just like the way you say you'd like to see more. It's like, you've never seen one before, yep. so I'd like to see more I'd, of them. I'd settle for one. <laughs> I'd settle for one. Um, so, yeah, I want to give the referees latitude to say, like, okay, you know, if a player has a tackle for a guy who's just, like, dribbling in the box away from the goal, let's call a foul there, but let's not give them a penalty. Let's give them a direct free kick. Um, so I think, yeah, that that's what I want. Yeah, I agree. Or just shades, like... You could have a 12-yard penalty, an 18-yard penalty, yeah. or a a shooting drill penalty where you pass it into a guy who one touches it off and then yes. you have to hit it one time. Yes. I love That's it. what I really yes. want to see. I want, I, I want more. I like that idea. I, but I like I like what George came up with, honestly. I like the um, narrow the narrowing thing where yeah. it makes it more look more like a free throw, basketball free throw lane and less like, you know, the orientation of the rectangle is the opposite way. Yep. Um, because I think those are some of the worst penalties honestly that like make you shake your head is when somebody either fouls someone who's dribbling towards the end line and has the guy dribbling towards the end line has is just looking for that penalty because he knows he's in a position where he's not that dangerous with the ball but if he can make it look like he drew a little contact uh he can get a 75 percent chance of a goal uh so yeah that is to eliminate that area from even being considered for penalties but then yeah one step better would be to say okay Leave the old penalty spot. Um, we'll take that for the Suarez handballs, and then we'll put the new George spot back there at whatever, twenty-five yards away, or you know, I, we'll do whatever creative solution that you can give for the, you know, weak handball calls and the, uh, is it a dive kind of penalties where he's just yeah. looking for contact. I, I also I, love I the like idea of the George spot. <laughs> is it going to be a PK or a George? It's a George. It's a George all the way. That's yeah, going to be a George. George sir. Oh, I love the idea of not just moving the spot back, but also moving it forward for like an instance where, get, like, I don't know, Luis Suarez <laughs> handball is the most obvious, where it's like, yeah, that ball was definitely going into the net if this foul hadn't been committed. Six yard penalty. Six yard penalty. Six. No keeper. Six yard penalty. No keeper. <laughs> you can put a field player in there, and if you just bash it off of him, then all right, fine, no goal. But. <laughs> So, uh, at least generally, rule change for George, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, one, two, three, thumbs four up. thumbs up, George. Like Way to go. Well in, like George. It. So it will never happen. It's too good. <laughs> George, how <laughs> much right. money do you have to bribe FIFA? I also think that this is like the perfect thing that we've been asking for. Like the old heads would go absolutely berserk oh, they would. Yeah. if we This isn't this. soccer. This isn't soccer. And yeah, exactly. And it's just such football, a small change that I think it would be great. I love it. Oh, it'd be great. Uh, if you want to see old heads blow up, how about Eric Schrauben's uh, suggestion that we abolish the offside rule? Uh, we'll start with that. Abolish offside. Uh, Colin, do you like that? No, I don't like that at all. Um, I, I, I mean, what's the intent? I think the intent of it is that it opens the game up because... Yep. The defenses aren't going to play the same way. Offenders are going to go towards the goal, but defenders will go with them, and it's going to open the center of the field way up. Yeah, and then you can play through that, right? right. So it's going to do. You, but what's going to like the idea of trying to open the field up, and you just don't like this way of accomplishing it? Yeah, I mean, or uh, you actually don't want that. I mean, I, I have no problem with playing a less congested game if that's the question. Uh, but what's really going to happen here is that it's going to the as a defense you don't want that to happen right like you don't want to just have tons of space for your opponent to dribble in pass through so as soon as they give up the ball everyone's just going to retreat uh and so what you're going to end up with is a basketball style game of retreating and parking the bus and then it turns over and the other team just turns around and runs back and retreat and park the bus and yeah you might get some counterattacks, but you're not going to get 
it's not going to be anything like the same. And the, because and the team that's attacking will have to leave guys way back there because otherwise you would cherry pick goals off them. So it's it's not going to look good. It's it's not going to be fun to watch. And I do like the fact that this I said last week, if your rule change makes some kind of player more valuable than he is now, that's cool with us. Right. And I think this does make a certain player valuable, which is the Peter Crouch or actually, I think the best player at this in the world would be Zlatan. Even at like 45 years old, he'd be amazing at this. But it's going to become like hockey. Where you see, like, in a hockey power play... That hold-up player. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But you also, like, see it, like, just... you The possession in the half. And there's no offside. So you can just park that guy in front of the keeper. And so you want a big, tall, strong guy who's good at, you know, flicking goals in, just like in hockey, by standing in front of the keeper. And no one flicks in a goal better than Zlatan, and he's big and strong. But also a Peter Crouch type is going to be really useful Blas Perez, Alan Gordon, these guys who are not that good are like going to be would be players at this. Um, but I, ultimately, I, I, it's not soccer I want to watch. So I, yeah. any additions to that? I, I feel I, like Colin's probably right here. I would be interested in just I, I think maybe the, the one area that I disagree is I think it wouldn't necessarily be so basketball-y. Like, I think you might still get teams pressing and whatnot. It would just be like those you know you'd have four defenders drop way off i think you could just have a lot of action at both ends of the field um and like less in the middle but i don't know it's it's it would be so different that like this is one that would really as dan said make people's heads explode um and i think there's like other (laughs) ways to tweak the rules to open up the game rather than just getting rid of offsides but i i like i like this idea i like this idea i'm not quite as opposed to it as colin is would I like to watch one game with these rules? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we uh, just, you know, we want to let Eric know that there are no bad ideas in brainstorming, and we appreciate this idea. And uh, coming from the person that wanted three different balls on the field at one time, uh, different colors, <laughs> um, different... Minimum. Like... If they score this, the red ball, it equals three goals and the game is over. Um, that was Colin's idea. So yeah. mm-hmm. uh, just because Colin doesn't like it, Eric, this is, I, I appreciate this. I appreciate it. I yeah, do. I'm... He brings up, um, I don't know if, if I'm, if I'm okay to transition, but he brings up the, a 12th player. Um, I think this get, does the get op- out of here. Yeah. I think it does the opposite <laughs> of what, uh, of what Eric wants with with abolishing the offside rule, I think it bringing a twelfth player on gums up the uh, the field a little so, bit more. So take a player off. So remove so ten players now on the pitch, ten v ten. Uh, that opens things. But up keep offside. Well, but yeah. I, but I think I like Eric that. Eric but might I, might be doing these things in concert. And so to kind of Colin's point, like if you're going to have people dropping way back. If you have extra players on the field, maybe you just say like, "All right, we'll have eight guys drop back, and just three guys always be in the opponent's box or something." I don't know. I, I think that might be what Eric's getting at here. I see. I see. I think you might be right. I mis I misinterpreted the email. I think he wants both of them. I don't think I could cut the email up like I did. Uh, this but this is why you I should have like let the professionals the handle the emails, Dan. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, I do like keeping offsides but taking a player off. That's because. When you get red cards, it's always more fun. There's more space. I mean, people are more tired also. But, uh, you know, we've seen this. We've seen 10v10. So, uh, I like that. Ten, are, yeah, 10v10 10 doesn't suck. We like we watching 10v10. Are, are we doing a full, full-on rules check? Can I can I drop yeah, one in? Yeah, do it. That's, all right, well, we, we probably don't have time for this because we had so many great ideas, which I've written all of them down. Um, well, <laughs> when you're done with this, I want Colin to explain his multiple ball ones because I'm dying to explain. I've, I've been thinking about it for weeks now. I've, I've kind of cut it down Wait, to its essence. Are, Mike, before we get wild, can I tell the one that I think is correct? Fine. Or are yeah. you going to tell, do yeah, tell us your correct. boring rule change? <laughs> no heads exploding change. Uh, the clock is not running, it stops for goals, substitutions, VARs. Uh, just like in high school, at least in Wisconsin, the referee could signal to the booth to stop the clock for extended periods. Uh, clock continues to run on throw-ins, goal kicks, unless there's a clear delay, and then it's a yellow card, and uh, you stop the clock on yellow cards. 
So uh, I I think that just takes like the Fergie time out of it and the like, you know, how does that add up to this or that? Like, just get rid of that part. It's yeah. fine. And also, I'm willing to bet, and I have not done the study, but um, that there are teams or players that are systematically kind of lose at the how much injury time we have yeah. because the referee gets to just stop the game whenever he wants. So uh, if some player that he doesn't particularly like or doesn't know he has a bias against uh, has the ball and he stops that attack versus some other player or some other team, uh, I, I bet that there is a bunch of bias happening in this part of the game. Um, so we take that out. If the clock hits 90 uh, as the, you know, the, the time as it's been dictated says, uh, whatever team has the ball, gets to continue that play until the other team touches the ball. So it's it's essentially a hockey, rules. hockey yeah. delayed penalty rule, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and then that's it. Like that that possession gets to end, and uh, and that's the end of the game. Like, How do we – I mean, Palmer brought this up last week when we were talking about Champions League. How do we incorporate bribes into that more fair <laughs> rules? <laughs> I mean – it's a fair point. I think you got to bribe to get the rule in. Once that rule in is in, it's tough to bribe. Yeah. But I think you can make money up front on it. That's true. Uh, it's like trying to steal an election before the election rather than after. Yeah, exactly. Voter suppression more mm-hmm. effective than yeah. lawsuits. Yep. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. You've learned Those a lot. Tough. Learned a lot. Okay, my rule. Um, yes. Oh, Palmer, you okay? No, I wanted. I wanted your rule. Okay, your rule. so Come on, Mike, give us the rule. So this is a rule with with adding and subtracting players. Basically, I think there should be things within the game that allow teams to either add players to the field on their own team and or subtract players from the other team. So the most obvious to me is a professional foul. Like right now, like professional fouls suck for the game. They break up like good attacking moments and it is generally a very small penalty that you face, which is just, okay, you get a warning and just don't do that again and then carry on. And so what would be great is, okay, professional foul, now that player is off the field for 10 minutes, power play, or just the rest of the game, I don't care. Uh, like may, may, Maybe just make it a red card, that. or you know, <laughs> or you can say, okay, professional foul, now the team that suffered the professional foul, you get an extra player. So um, I, I think we could talk about like lots of different opportunities for where a team uh, should be awarded or taken a player away, but I just think like, Right now, uh, there's just there's just too much, too many opportunities for teams to like kill off exciting moments, um, yeah. And there's there's no penalty, and so I we need to. All right, play. I this love is a great idea. I'm gonna build on this. Can I build on this a little bit? I have a question about this this idea of a power play. Right, uh, power plays in hockey last two minutes, but that's small and they're fast. Uh, how long does your power play last, Mike? Uh, Dan's saying five minutes. I'm gonna say ten minutes. I'm gonna say wow. longer. Both. You've both in 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 hockey. You have two minute and ten minute penalties. That's true. You both. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You can um, have a, a minor and a major. So. Yeah. I, I like the idea of this. That, okay. So we, let's put two together here. We said ten v ten. We like ten v ten before. So let's play ten v ten, and then let's add the player. Right. So then we it's still eleven v ten. We know that's good soccer too, and let's have each team have a guy who's just standing there warming up the whole game, just waiting to get on. Run on yeah. Whenever he and he wants. can just run on. They, they call it. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be a big substitution thing. He's like standing in some kind of zone where he warms up and they call the penalty and whatever the ref gives some hand signal. And that guy just runs on and you take the free kick right away. You don't have to worry about a big substitution. And then he five minutes or 10 minutes and he gets off and base and these you know, this could happen three or four times a game, right? He goes back to his little box where he warms up again. Yep. He gets ready again. It's a it's a whole the, different position. Y- and y- you have to designate that guy before the game. So he has to be like, it's like James Milner. Like, yeah. he can come on and play any He'll position. Play Whether you're winning, losing, yeah. he's going to be valuable. But, you know, maybe you're a team who thinks you have a different strategy. You're going to put on, I don't know, some tall guy. And you're like, okay, he can play center back or he can play striker depending on where we need him on our power plays yeah. or whatever. Well, like this is, this is the El senior role, right? Like n- not a guy who's 90 minutes yeah, fit, exactly. but can come on exactly. for 10 minutes and just like make some just shit happen. Shred you. Yeah. And he just does it, you know, two or and three then times after 10 a game. Minutes, he's like, Ooh, fuck yep. me. I got to get back to my little box. <laughs> yep. 
Oh, that's a great one. I love I this like rule. I, I like this rule a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think let's it could also just be going like, at the USL or like some kind of lower levels. Let's get this one. That's right. Run it. Yep. Yep. Easy I think even like any, any foul, I think any foul. All right. That's a two minute power play. And then maybe a, maybe a, a yellow card foul Ooh. is a five minute <laughs> power play. So you're just constantly having guys coming on and off the field. <laughs> it's, it's, it's utter chaos, but it's beautiful. Referees suck already. Can you imagine them trying to manage that? And like, yeah, you're going to need extra ref position watches to start. Like, yeah, yeah. You're going to need extra, like in, in hockey, there's a guy who sits in the penalty box, right? I mean, that's uh, basically the fourth official. Guy. The fourth official is a bullshit job, Doesn't do shit. right? Yeah. That's true. They don't do anything. Let's put them that to work. Is, he just says given, racist things to Turkish teams. Exactly. Given what happened this week, get the fuck out of the game. Fourth official. Like, yeah, what is no more point? fourth you officials. Hold, you hold up a clock. That's it. We're, 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 we're removing all fourth officials from the game, but we are going to hire a fifth and sixth official. <laughs> so we're just going to have one, two, three, five, six as positions for officials. We're retiring That's, the number four. I like it. I want to bring back, like, really the fourth official is just there to uh, let the center referee know that there's like a sub coming. Yeah. And if we're getting rid of stoppage time, then we don't need the fourth official, really. I just really would like to see Mourinho on the sideline, like, uh, in youth soccer where we have to like sub where you have to scream at the referee <laughs> sir substitute referee substitute that's and that's you, you don't get it and you're like ah, yeah. Timmy's so tired <laughs> ah. uh, that's um, great so what, can, can I just throw out one other substitution related rule yes please um, re-entry player re-entry into the game so I think even in the current sub uh, rules you could say okay only three subs but a, once a guy comes out he can go back in so you know if you want to start Does that count as a sub or that he's already like he's an active player so he can come in and out as much as he wants could could be either way could be either way i'm open i'm open to interpretation of this rule but i just i think you know game states change think, you're like oh crap why did i why did i take off you know my center forward where now i need a goal He's right there. Let me just put him back in. Doesn't it, doesn't NCAA uh, soccer? Yeah. They have like you can you can sub as many times as you want in the first half, but I think in the second half, if you're taken out, it's you it's the other out. way. It's the other way where if you're taken out in the first half, you stay out, but in the second half, it's just free free for all. Okay. Okay. And they stop the clock. So basically, we just want to go back to college soccer for everybody. <laughs> the NCA is the most progressive governing body. <laughs> they figured out soccer. Wow. Jesus. Oh, Colin, tell us about multiball. All right. So, yeah, I mean, on the text, we had a lot of multiball flavors going. But I wanna, I'm want i going to pare it down to only two, just so it, it can be interpretable by our fifth and sixth referees. Um, but the rule is that... Each keeper keeps a yellow ball, uh, like a, a high-vis ball. Could be, you know, Nike's going to sponsor this. It could be orange one year or whatever in different leagues, different colors. But you're playing with a white ball, and then when it goes out for a corner, the keeper picks up his yellow ball, and you, when the corner comes in, the keeper can throw his yellow ball at the ball that's coming in from the corner. And if he hits it, the yellow ball is now live, Right. And so if it, if the yellow ball then stays in the field of play, a goal scored with the yellow ball is worth two. And, but once the yellow ball goes out of bounds, it does not come back into play. So if you're up by one goal, all you got to do is get to that yellow ball and hoof it out of bounds. But as long as it's still in play, that one's worth two. And you should just go for that one and just leave the white ball because the white ball is worth nothing. It's, it's only worth one right I, now. I, so. I I'm concerned that the keepers will not use the yellow ball because you're you're throwing the yellow ball at the regular ball. It's going to hit that yep. ball. Now it's live, but now you have two balls in your box to defend. <laughs> and I just think if you're a keeper, not if you hit that ball well enough. I just think if you're a keeper, you're risk adverse, <laughs> and you're you're not going to try and hit it because you're going to be like, crap, this is just more to defend. I think we need to find a way to what? incentivize the yeah. use of the yellow ball. What if you're down by one goal? Like you got to get that yellow ball on the field and you got to get it live. So you got to hit that white ball. Yeah. But if you're down by one goal and it's late and the you need the yellow ball in, then won't the other team just take a short corner? 
Yeah, but I, I, I thought of that. But what I'm going to do is, is if you put another guy on the short corner, I'm going to, uh, no more 10 yards. You have to stay away at 10 yards. Like if you walk a guy in there to take, to go close. Defender can go. Defender can go with him. Can, can I add a slight wrinkle to, to the yellow ball as well? The yeah. yellow ball can be used by the keeper only, but for corners on either side of the field. So if your team has a <laughs> so he corner. Can run up, he can run up and throw No, he can throw. He's got to throw it 100 yards. Well, I've, this gets to another thing. I've always felt that keepers should be able to use their hands in both boxes. Um, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've always believed. I've always believed. <laughs> it's not a popular belief. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a little fringe it's a little fringe but anyway so if if you're down reading of the rules yeah if you're down the rules don't it's really like specify some people read the bible and see what they want to see you know you read the fifa rule book and you're like you know for me Goalies. for me that really reads that the keepers can use it in both boxes that's the way <laughs> i interpret a, that it's a little fringe <laughs> Um, the church of uh, Mike believes the keepers use the use and, their hands in both boxes. Yeah, yeah, it's the the Talmud of uh, <laughs> of the game. Um, but anyway, so if you're down, if you're down a couple goals, you might have your keeper come up with the with the keeper's yellow ball and use that to either try and direct the one ball in or just to to be able to double up. So you could potentially have three balls in at one time. Um, which oh, because both goalies have a ball, which would be great. Does the, I completely the agree. Offensive with goalie has to dribble the ball between the boxes, though. I assume. Yes. Uh, well, it's 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 not it's, it's, it it's not in play. It's not in play, right? So they can they can still. Carry well, what it if up. they? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But then, as point. soon as they take it quick, then it's a red card if you're stuck <laughs> if you're not into the other box. <laughs> well, no, but uh, I don't know. It's but your the ball, team. It's your own it's, team taking it. You shouldn't make that mistake. It's yeah, yeah you, you shouldn't make that, that mistake. And also the ball isn't really live until it hits the other ball, right? So mm, I don't know. True, I mean th- I don't, is that right? this will clearly have to be debated more on a future pod. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I love I love all of this. The idea of a goalkeeper throwing a different ball at another ball as hard as they possibly can. <laughs> this ends with players getting smashed in the face. <laughs> by another soccer ball like unwittingly having no idea and just like this is carnage all over the field and i love the driven it. ball into the box and then oh, the keeper has to throw the ball at the ball that's like it's drive driven across head height and he's like throwing it from the the ball that he's hitting is like six feet away from him what happens if yellow ball deflects like so the goalkeeper is successful in hitting the white ball but what happens if yellow ball deflects back into goalkeeper's goal game yeah goal? that's yeah that's two, a goal. it's a two-pointer two points okay. yeah i like it it's, it's oh. kind of like uh football there's like two-point conversions and you know you're starting two yards well, away but if you throw, yeah if you throw an interception and it goes the other way it's uh yeah. two points against so, just don't I just do that make it clear that we love soccer <clears throat> and we love it the way it is this is mm. this is absolutely unhinged discussion and i love it if we didn't love it, uh, we wouldn't be trying to make it better. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But yeah, um, I I like the throwing the soccer ball at the soccer ball idea. Uh, it's my own idea, of course. I like it. But uh, what I really liked, which I think Palmer added this to my idea the first time I came up with it, was that when the ball goes out of bounds, it's it's done now. Like you can't. That ball is out of bounds. And you got to rip. Like you don't get to throw it back in because yeah. I just love the idea of players like running after a ball and then it goes out of bounds and them having to be like, shit, where's the ball that I like that one's like falling <laughs> off the face of the earth. You, pl- I, you play games like that in training, right? Yeah. New ball, new ball. Yeah, new yeah, ball, yeah, yeah exactly. Dead, dead. And you're like, you're like oh, shit, where's the ball? It's like 80 yards away. You're like, oh, God. I, I love the idea of a player holding one of the balls in the corner, like kind of killing time in the corner so that the other team like basically then then there's no offsides <laughs> for the other ball and so then you can right. work yeah, down yeah, yeah. the other side of the field and not have to worry about offsides or just weird weird shit like that um yep. i've i've got another corner one uh but colin did you have another multi-ball scenario no, or? No, okay it. so i call this i call this the corner champion uh theory um so kind of you know how in like <laughs> the old... corner champion reading of the rules <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this theory. is not a reading of the rules dan believe me this this one is not in the rule book um, so you know how kind of in like old timey, like medieval fighting, sometimes, uh, uh, 
instead of armies battling, everyone on one army would just be like, all right, you choose a champion and we'll have our champion fight that guy. This might be biblical too. I don't, I don't know if this actually happened. But we'll just have two guys fight each other. And then the winner of that fight, like their, you know, their side wins. And then we don't have to have thousands of people die. Mm-hmm. So in a similar vein, for a corner kick, uh, this could be like once a game where you just say like, okay, we're invoking the champion rule. We're going to send up our best corner kick taker. You send your best corner kick taker. Um, and then it's just a one-on-one battle. The keeper has to stay on the line so that they can't just run out and just grab the ball or like be another shadow of, of the attacking champion. And so you just have like a battle royale between, you know, your two what best is, takers. What does that look like? What does that mean? Wait, like, you mean they're they're just trying to do Olympicos and, and like score no, no, no. directly from the there's corner? Like, there's like one person taking a corner and then yeah. in the box you have an attacking player and a defending player. And they're just oh, going one-on-one to try and win taker. the ball. And then the keeper is there, but he has to stay, or the he or she has to stay on the line. So they can't just like run out and grab the ball because there's only one person for them to worry about. Um, they have to stay on the line until the ball is hit uh, by one of the, the people in the yeah, box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I'm still, I'm still I think we could do that instead of... We just, his hands. Let's just <laughs> do that instead of penalties. Let's Let's just... Insert that game for penalties. Sure. Not a problem. I like it. Yes. Absolutely. All right. I've got more, but we should probably move on. So good. So (laughs) good. We'll just do more next week. Yes. Keep that list up. Don't close that tab. Um, (laughs) Colin, I'm worried you have to drop off soon. Do you want to talk about MLS Cup or U.S. Men's National Team El Salvador? Uh, Let's do U.S. Men's National Team El Salvador. U.S. Men's National Team wins 6-0, a C-squad for the U.S. Men's National Team, mostly MLS guys that did not make it late into the playoffs, so naturally selecting to not be the best players around. Uh, Beat El Salvador 6-0, including four goals in like eight minutes in the first half. Uh, Colin, reactions, go. I mean, that was fun. Yeah, it's fun (laughs) to watch your team score a lot of goals uh, against uh, teams that are very poor, right? This is like when... I don't know, whatever. England plays Luxembourg or something like that. Yeah, they win 6-0, and they should. And there's nothing, there's not really a ton to write home about. Um, I did think that it was nice to see some guys uh, stand out on this stage. I would say specifically Chris Mueller. Um, looked really good, I thought. And I thought um, his style of play at in, in this kind of team... Uh, he can play a lot like Jordan Morris, I thought, um, who is a guy who obviously has found a lot of U.S. men's national team caps. So while we don't think that he is a guy who we probably want in our starting 11 in a World Cup, uh, I think that he showed in this, he more than anyone showed in this game, oh, there might be a role for me on a 23-man roster. Um, Whereas I think other guys... um, I mean, Ariola or Leggett, like, are kind of already known quantities who we know what their role might be on a 23-man roster. But I think more than anything, Chris Mueller kind of said, made his case for, like, okay, this is my role. And I thought he played really well. Palmer? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think that, that he was the big standout for sure. Um, I thought my other... Um, just kind of note from this game is that we were insanely direct. Like there was not a lot of nuance to, uh, to the tactics. I mean, if that was what Greg wanted, then that's what, you know, that that's what they did, but it was route one football from the get and it was successful obviously, but that's not going to work against teams that, you know, can hold the ball or can defend a little bit better or can drop back and, uh, so if that was the goal, um, then mission accomplished and it looked great and it was successful. Um, but I don't think it's a style of football that we're going to be successful playing, uh, in, you know, highly competitive, um, competition. So happy that they I mean, scored a lot of goals though. It was great. I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you, but I think the fact that we've failed against Trinidad and Tobago in the past and, you know, it's just not that easy to win games away in CONCACAF in World Cup qualifiers. Like, not just for the U.S., like Mexico will go and draw in Jamaica or whatever to, as well. Um, that 
and Greg's clearly Greg's first plan his plan a is a possession-based style and like wants the keeper to play with feet and all that kind of stuff that we've seen a lot of and we were fairly critical of at some points right um to see us be like okay here's a plan b right yeah yeah that we can use sometimes is is we're the u.s and we're one of the things we're good at and guys like um I think a lot of the guys in this game, Mueller, Jordan Morris type players are, is their athleticism? Zardes. Zardes. Yeah. These guys are strong and fast. And if yeah. we need to use just strength and speed, that should be a thing we know how to do. So, I, I mean, I'm not mad I, about it. I, I am not, I'm not saying that this was bad. I'm not saying that, like, I'm just saying that it was, it was very direct. And if that was the plan, they they executed the plan and they did it well. I mean, I think the other thing that we can take from this is that we have some talent. Like we can go, we could put a C team on the pitch and score six goals against you know a a lesser opponent. But that's not like we have McKinney. But grown and, men, yeah, right. And it's I not mean, like, this was El Salvador A essentially. Exactly, and it's not like we had McKinney and Pulisic and Adam like our our A plus team going and scoring six goals this is this is a c team and they went and dominated and they bossed the game so like that i mean that's exciting mike thoughts um i mean this is you know still preseason for me i said preseason after the panama game this is like you know your classic baseball split squad uh where you know one group of guys goes and plays one team and then here's the other group and uh yeah i mean i think the the only only thing I would add to what's been said is like, I'm hoping that um, y- you know there there are different ways that the team plays based also on what our opponent is showing. And so like, if your opponent is pressing a lot, then playing a more direct game makes sense to kind of bypass their press. And I watched I don't know the first 35 minutes of this, um, and you know didn't really seem like El Salvador had much of a much of a plan. I think they were just there to pick up a paycheck, but like. Yeah, we won six nothing. It's preseason. I'm I'm happy with it, but you know the real the real tests are still ahead. But I mean, I agree with that. And if El Salvador's motivation wasn't high, then that's understandable or like fair enough. But El Salvador is the sixth ranked team in Concacaf or something like that. So this is, I mean, we're playing an eight team World Cup qualifying format. The uh, I forget what they're calling it, but the you know the it's not X anymore. It's not six. It's eight. The Octo. <laughs> so we will have games like this in our qualifying, um, whether or not they show up a yeah. little bit more than they did here. But this is like if there if we've got games in that group that we can win six nil. Like let's just win those six nil with our B squad, yeah, or with our A squad, but without breaking a sweat. Yeah. Um, that to me is the sign. Like I agree this particularly doesn't mean anything except like maybe that we're good enough that we can just not make this super dramatic and just win some games and that would be great yeah i mean we we also did in the last hex where we failed to qualify i think we beat honduras at home six nothing so again it's like we've always had these kind of performances in us and i think you know some of the teams in concaf that we play when things get tough you know, there's infighting and, and, you know, you just see teams at all levels kind of just at a certain point just say, fuck it, it's it's not worth it. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just not really sure that any of this necessarily means like a new a new era has dawned, but but maybe. And maybe more than any of these players that we should be excited about, like Greg gets a couple of wins in, you know, it's was not a year full of games but we talked on the email thread about uh you know there were four or five games this year we went undefeated uh we the u.s men's national team does not go undefeated in years except where we only play a couple of games uh, like (laughs) 1924 and 1937 or something like that uh so it's not that it necessarily matters because it's small sample size but like greg's had a good year yeah I mean, I feel like none of us were really excited when he got hired, uh, but it does kind of feel like, you know, maybe he was the right man at the right time for the job. Uh, Oh, let's pump the brakes on that one. I I said maybe, Ryan. Maybe. (laughs) Just, you know, calm down. Uh, It was hedged. But, like, he's he's done well in terms of, 
recruiting dual nationals or getting guys into camps. Um, you know, I don't think any of the results this year we should really look into. And it's just like next year there's Olympic qualifying, there's gold cup, there's world cup qualifying, there's potentially Olympics. There's like a lot of things that actually matter next year. And so I think in, you know, December of 2021, assuming all those things actually happen, uh, we'll have a chance to really know like, okay, is, is Greg a good coach or not? Uh, in other news, I think we're not going to get to Premier League or Champions League this week, but I do think we have to talk about MLS Cup since it's the uh, crowning achievement of the domestic league. Uh, Columbus beat Seattle 3-0 on Saturday evening. Um, we're, we're running long, so let's keep it tight. But Palmer, what are your thoughts here? Uh, I'll keep it real tight. Seattle didn't show up to this game, which is shocking. Uh, a COVID-ravaged Columbus crew... No Negmi, uh, no Pedro Santos, um, and they absolutely bossed the entire game. Um, yeah. Just the first half was, uh, Seattle didn't show up in the first half, and it was 2-0 at halftime. Um, Seattle had most of the possession at halftime, but like, just didn't do anything. I think uh, you guys love and expected goals. Their expected goals at at half was uh, 0.5 to uh, Columbus's uh, 0.05. 0.05, excuse me. I don't yeah. understand that stat. But anyway, uh, <laughs> they just absolutely bossed the game. Um, Columbus deserved every bit of this trophy. They were fantastic. So shouts to Caleb Porter. I, yeah, I got to ask you, you Portland fans, like this team won. I mean, obviously, like you, like you said, Nagby wasn't part of the squad yesterday because of COVID. But, like, this team had Nagby. This team is coached by Caleb Porter. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of similarities to uh, to the Timbers. I think, is Adi, is Adi on this team? Is he on the bench? Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. I kind of, I'm mostly focused on, on Porter. And, like, to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, is he, quote, unquote, back? Was he always a good coach? And he just, like, got a raw deal or had a bad year at Portland? Like, how are you feeling about all that? I, I mean, Dan, you know Porter better than I than I do. I, I wasn't here for the Caleb Porter tenure, so. Um, he. He's very like curmudgeonly. I don't necessarily dislike him, but he's just like a lot to put up with as a fan, or like you get the sense from the media that they're just like, oh, another Caleb Porter interview that like he just kind of is upset at us and doesn't give us any real <laughs> comments. Like just, I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's just kind of grading in the end for, and I don't know if that's true of his team. Darlington Nabby obviously loves playing with him and has played with him for, or played for him for, you know, 19 of the last 20 years or whatever. So maybe he's great to play for, but um, as a not being part of the club, like I, I think he's a good coach. I do, but I, I don't necessarily think that that means I want to root for him, uh, just because I'm, I'm not sure he's super likable. Um, but I, you know, it's hard for me to parse whether I'm, you, know, I guess, happy for Caleb Porter, or Darlington Nagby, or any of these guys that I, I do have like some attachment to, or if I'm just mostly just happy that Seattle did not win this thing. Um, and I, I think the answer is just. Like, thank God Seattle did not win this because they suck. They were terrible. So, they were so terrible. it sounds like you guys aren't, like, pining for Caleb Porter to, to come back to Portland. No. I, I mean, I, I think... I mean, I think he's... I think he's a good... I think he's a good manager. I think that you saw that in the game uh, today, uh, yesterday. Like, his team was prepared. I think he had a plan. Um, they, they pressed... Uh, really really well in the in the first half they were committed um and i think that that's a reflection of of his game plan and his tactics and and they executed that so uh and it's you know it's i was thinking this like portland and seattle caleb porter he knows port or seattle pretty well um so maybe that factored into the way he set up because i think most of the the playoffs i think columbus tended to kind of play kind of more of a plotting game and and this was a, a this they came out like gangbusters um and they jumped on some yeah, that's a early. good point 
Seattle hasn't had a ton of turnover in their, certainly not in their manager. Uh, a lot of their players are very kind of similar to even when Caleb Porter was here. So he might have had more familiarity. I think that's a, a good point. Uh, so the crew win it. I think the other thing that's interesting, kind of also at more of a macroscopic level, is that, uh, you know, the crew was really bad just a couple of years ago. Um, the ownership was trying to take them to Austin because they thought that, the, I don't know, investment or interest would be better there. Um, the crew survived, save the crew, hashtag, et cetera, et cetera, local ownership. Um, and like just a year later, they win MLS Cup. So, uh, I don't know. Is that is that a story about like how cool it is that the fans save the club, or is that a story about parity in the league and like you can go from worst to first that easily? Or uh, Mike, what do you think? I mean, I think in in an age uh, where like there's less fan control of clubs, and I mean, you can argue if that's ever really been a thing in American soccer, but certainly like globally, like fan control has been going down. This is you know maybe a, a silver lining of like an instance where fans like rallied together you know to quote unquote save their club and obviously there's there's a lot of other things that were involved but um yeah i don't know it's you know soccer history in this country is is like pretty pretty new in a lot of, i mean there's there's old history but like you know Columbus is is 25 years old they're not that old um but it's it's great that the team is going to stay there and it's great that they are having success now and um you know i think most people who aren't Sounders fans are going to say it's great that they beat Seattle. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's a happy story. I like it. Take your joy where you can find it. There you go. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Um, all right. I think uh, you know, big week in Champions League, uh, big week in player power, fighting against racism. Yep. But I, I wish we had time, but I think we gotta. We gotta call it. Yep. Yeah. All love, right, boys. Love the player Thanks, power. Cliff. Thanks, Cliff. Thanks, Cliff. Was good.